Please stand for the word of God. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I'll question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind the doors? When it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds and garment and wrapped in the thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set it doors and bars in place, when I said, this is far, you may come and no farther. Here's where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders in the morning or shown the dawn its place? Then it might take the earth by the edges and shake its wicked out of it. The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arms is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have you, the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Can we give Olivia one more hand? She read that thing. Good job, Olivia. Good morning. Um, Good to see y'all. Um, happy, it's All Saints Day. I don't know if you know what that is. I, it, I didn't grow up with it in my tradition, but it's a Sunday where we kind of celebrate all the ordinary folks across all of the Christian history who have lived with deep and great and bold faith. Um, women, unrecognized, recognized men, recognized or unrecognized, who have um, waken up earlier to reality maybe a little earlier than the rest of us have and so it's all saints day so i don't know if you're thinking of saints in your head um but that's today we are in a series i think we are in week six of a series we are calling the questions that god asks the questions god asks and the premise is sort of that questions and question asking and really which is a way of saying uncertainty or inquiry is at the heart of uh, our walk with god and not only are our questions to God fruitful and helpful and nurturing to our faith, but also God's questions to us. And God's questions to humans um, can be a source of deep faith producing. And also it's just modeled in God and God's self, that questions are a thing that we do and need and ask. Amen? So the questions God asks, uh, week six today. Y'all with me? All right, will you pray with me? Lord, we're not here to play games or play church or to perform or to spectate or to go through the motions. Um, I don't need to convince anyone here today that we desperately need you. We desperately need something different. We need a word, we need a push, we need a move, we need a shift. God, we, we cannot bomb our way to blessings. We cannot shoot our way to shalom. We cannot hate our way to healing. We can't cheat and lie our way to love, so we need you. 
We need you as broken individuals, wounded people. We need you as a wounded group. We need you as a country, as a world. We need you. So God, with the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth and the meditations of every thought here today, would they be pleasing in your sight, O Lord? In the name of the Chime God, amen. Uh, as we speak right now, uh, someone is waking up from the worst news they've ever received. And it is harder than what words could describe. And also right now, uh, someone has just had the hardest week that they have ever had in their life. Maybe you have. And around the world, people are waking up to realities or are going to sleep to realities that are unimaginably, unbearably hard. So at the end of the day, I guess what I'm trying to say is that when we shed ourselves of our titles and when we put down the masks at the end of the day, and we take off our clothes, you and I and the other 7.8 billion image bearers in the world are all the same. And that we are nothing less and nothing more than naked, fragile, vulnerable, wounded, gorgeous human beings. And that's it. And that brings us into what I think is really the universal experience, the thing that binds us, the thing that connects all of us, whether you know it or not. It is this experience of suffering to different degrees. It is sadness. It is grief that we all feel. It is tragedy. It is agony. It is heartbreak. And if you think about it, we often think that the things that connect us are actually shallow or trivial or trite. No, it turns out that experiences of suffering or agony or loss or tragedy are among the deepest things. And so actually it's the deepest things that connect us to the other 7.8 billion image bearers. What binds us are these experiences, not that are shallow, but are actually unspeakably deep. To be human is to be in a gut-wrenching experience. To be human is agonizing. To be human is painstakingly hard. Are y'all with me? To be human is to be hurt and cut to the core. This has been true of every human who has ever existed, and this will be true of every human who ever will exist. In our sacred text, we call that the Holy Bible. There's New Testament and Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's this group of literature, this group of books that tries to make sense of these very questions, these existential, universal, timeless questions about what it means to be human. And these books are called the wisdom literature, the wisdom literature. So it's this genre in the Old Testament. You know, we have the Pentateuch or the Torah, which is the first five books. Then there's the history books like Joshua, Judges, Chronicles, Samuel, Kings. And then you have the prophets, the major prophets, the minor prophets. And then there's this other group of books called the poetic books, or our Jewish siblings call them the, the, uh, the writings. 
And in that chunk, there is a subsection of a couple books, three in particular, that we call wisdom literature. And these books, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Proverbs, they're wrestling with questions, how am I supposed to live wisely? Is God truly just and merciful? Why is life unfair? What do I hope for? What is it that God could offer me that I might be comforted? And the wisdom books are unique in that it kind of sets aside the main storyline of the whole Old Testament and that we don't learn anything about Israel or covenant or Abraham or a family or the kings or the promised land. And there's nothing about obeying the laws of the Torah and there's nothing about the temple and there's nothing about Mount Sinai. So the emphasis of the wisdom literature is really about these existential questions about suffering, meaning, what does it mean to be human? What do we hope for? What is it that God could offer me that I might be comforted? So in particular, we are in a book called Job today. And you'll remember from the opening chapters that Job is not exactly a candidate for divine punishment. He hasn't really done anything wrong. In fact, the Bible says in the first chapter of Job that Job was blameless and upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. And then a couple chapters later, God himself, God and God's self says, this guy's blameless. This guy is upright. He fears God and he shuns evil. And then the story transitions to kind of this heavenly realm where there's this sort of divine council meeting taking place and there's angels and then there's the Lord. And then there's this figure that has a title that we call the Satan which means something like the adversary or the one who opposes, the accuser. And the Satan surmises that Job's actually not faithful to you, Lord. He's actually not. It's actually just contingent upon the fact that God keeps blessing him. And the Satan speculates that Job doesn't actually love God, but instead is only faithful because he gets a reward for it. So the Satan comes to the Lord and says, if you take things from him, he will curse God. He will curse you. So the Lord agrees to let the Satan inflict great suffering on Job. This is why I don't want us to skate over. I really don't. That I think it's so easy often in church contexts where we make suffering and people's experiences uh, this abstract, theoretical, conceptual thing that exists in a vacuum of ideas Let's just sit for a sec with what Job goes through, and maybe that can be a doorway into experiencing and sitting with what we go through and what people around the world today and always have been going through. This is, ser this is, this is profound beyond words, right? What he goes through is unimaginable. His livelihood is taken. His home is destroyed. His children are killed. His livestock is stolen. And for the next... 36 chapters. For the next 36 chapters, Job's going on a roller coaster of emotional ups and downs, spiritual ups and downs. And then he's also got these friends. I wonder if you have friends like this who are doing their very best with the theology that they have to explain and to give answers and to offer explanation and to give logical coherence as to why things are happening. 
I wonder if you have friends like that. I wonder if you are that friend at times. They're trying to figure out what, what Job must have done wrong so that Job is experiencing what he's experiencing. He must have sinned against God. These are the friends who insist on explanations when there isn't one, who insist on solutions when perhaps there isn't one, who search and search for some divine reason for terrible and awful things that happen when, in fact, there might not be one. Who earnestly, earnestly, I think they do this earnestly, who earnestly are in search for some bigger purpose of suffering when perhaps there isn't one. The people who do the theological gymnastics and jump through the hula hoops to make it all make sense. Or can it? But please, please don't see Job as some obscure, far-off character from the ancient Near East. Remember, we're framing this all in the context of this is for the purpose of wisdom. It would be so unwise to see Job as a singular person. Job's story is the archetypal story of the innocent who suffer. Job's story is the archetype for the innocent across all time and space who suffer. Job is the one who lives under forces that Job did not choose. Do you know anyone like that? Job is the one who hurts unimaginably under evil circumstances that they did not create. Does that sound like anywhere today? Job is the woman who has lost everything yesterday. Job is the, the child who is abused by a drunk father yesterday. Job is the man who suffers from drug addiction right out there. Job is the woman who has lost the love of her life this year. Job is the unarmed boy who is killed. Job is the girl who is ruthlessly bullied for years. Job is the one whose body stops working for no good reason. Job is the one who is diagnosed with brain cancer. Job is the one whose brother is murdered. Job is the one who is losing the battle to mental illness. Job is the woman who wonders how much longer she can bear this pain. Job is the man who says, I think I might be better off not here. Job is me. And Job is you. And what Job is looking for in this long book, and after 37 chapters, what Job is after, is quite reasonable, isn't it? Some kind of answer, some kind of explanation, some kind of response from God. Something, hello? Are you going to show up? Are you going to do something? Because they keep saying you're good. And so I'm just trying to figure out for myself, will you show up for me? How long, oh Lord? I'm just trying to figure it out because they've said it, but now I'm at the point where I actually don't want to hear my friend's theology anymore. And I'm past the point of being able to just listen to the speaker up front tell me about who you are. I need to hear a word from you yourself. 
so I need you to show up for me. You see, that's a little bit reasonable, isn't it? After all that Job has gone through. He says, I want to hear straight from you, God. Because what the heck is going on? Does anyone know that feeling? Has anyone been there? Where nothing will suffice but to hear answers or something, something from God. That is the human experience. The anguish of being you and me. Laid off, can't do it. Mother, sick, anxiety attacks, panic attacks, depression, world's on fire. The kids are struggling. Parenting is impossible. We know this feeling, don't we? It's like, God, doesn't it break your heart when my heart's broken? Doesn't it? Or if you can't resonate with that experience personally, God, doesn't it break your heart? My heart is broken when I look at what's happening in our world. Doesn't that break your heart, God? Breaks my heart that people are being bombed. That's crazy. That breaks my heart. Does that not break your heart, God? Breaks my heart that there are people who don't have enough food and will die because of it. That breaks my heart. Does that not break your heart, God? It crushes me that your beloved humans will die because of preventable diseases. That crushes me. Does that not crush you, God? What is it that God could give you or give me or give Job? What is that thing that God could give? to Job, to you, to me, that would alleviate our suffering? What is it that God could give to us? And so finally we get to the meat of what we're talking about today. And 38 chapters in, God finally speaks. <laughs> that already pisses me off. <laughs> but whatever. Chapter 38. Church, brace yourself. Brace yourself. It says, out of the storm, or some, some translations say, in the whirlwind. Hmm, that'll preach already. Out of the whirlwind of what you're experiencing, out of the storm, God speaks to Job. And basically, he goes on. This also kind of pisses me off. He goes on, not just for one chapter, he goes on for like two and a half, three chapters of God just speaking and giving a response to Job. Chapter 38 to halfway through chapter 40 and then stops for a second and keeps going. And our question today, as you've seen it, the question that God asks Job is, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth. Tell me if you understand. Where were you, 38 chapters in, unimaginable suffering, he's innocent, blameless, upright, shuns evil, 38 chapters in, God finally responds and says out of the whirlwind, where were you 
When I laid the earth's foundations, tell me if you understand. This is how God responds. And I think it is summarized. I think it can all be encapsulated by that question. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Brace yourself. So I think I've mentioned up here, uh, maybe last time I was up here, I think it's really important, I think just on a, on a spiritual formation level, to pay attention to the tone of voice that God has when you read when God's speaking. What's the tone of voice that God has when God speaks in your mind or when you read the scripture? I think it will show you a lot about your implicit theology about God. And so there really are only, I, I've sat with this for a while, and it seems to me there are just about two ways to interpret what ensues in chapter 38 and on. Firstly, is it God really showing Job up? Is this God putting little old silly Job in his place? Is this God demonstrating kind of how pathetic and puny Job's situation is in the context of all of the grand cosmos? Is this God just being kind of snarky, a little bit petty, a little bit sarcastic? Is this God demonstrating God's omnipotence and omniscience and omnipresence in the face of Job's stupid limitation? Is this God trying to highlight Job's insignificance? Could be. And so maybe that is all that this is. Maybe that's just how we're supposed to interpret th chapter 38 and 39 and 40. Is that maybe God is just giving Job a long talking to. Could be. Maybe this is just a big reprimand. Maybe this is a lecture from God. Or secondly, what if, what if God couldn't, because of God, who God is, what if God could never be cold like that? I'm asking you all to do some imaginative, kind of mystical work here. But can we do that? What if God could never sound cold? What if God could not, because of who God is, sound demeaning? What if God never sounds patronizing, even if in our mind God sounds patronizing? What if God couldn't possibly be unkind? Because what if instead God is offering us only grace and only tenderness? What would that mean? What would that look like? What would that have to mean for this text as we interpret it? And so what if God could only ever respond to us in the storm of our life, in the storms of our circumstances, and take us by the hand almost, like a loving parent or a loving caretaker, and say, Beloved, I would love to show you something. Will you come with me? Can I take you around? I would like to show you something. Sweetheart, will you come with me? I want to show you something. So I'm, I'm going to show my cards here. I really do think, and I'm utterly convinced that the response that God gives Job in chapter 38 
is not a reprimand, nor a lecture, nor a talking to, nor a sitting down on the bleachers to finger wag. But the more time I spend with this chapter, it's starting to look like God is just taking Job on this tender tour through the cosmos. And literally, as I, I was preparing this weekend, the image that came to mind was, I don't know if maybe some of you have done this, where it's almost like when a parent takes their young child to an aquarium for the first time and leads them by hand around the different exhibits. They say, oh, and see the little seahorses bouncing around. And whoa, the stingrays as they kind of glide above us in the tunnel. And there's a blowfish. Oh, and then there's the little guppies. Oh, and the eels. And taking us around and showing us, look at all the other things that I am holding. Can I show you these things? And then so God leads Job to the farthest stars and then the highest moons and then to the center of the supernovas and then to the different galaxies and down to the deepest depths of the sea where there's underground volcanoes and then to the green meadows where the deers rest and then to the clouds and then to the deepest darkness again. And then God tenderly shows Job the ostrich and the wild ox and the grizzly bear and the horse and the hawk and the eagle and the lions and the ravens and the mountain goats. Do you see how that might be a reframe for us, that this is not a reprimand or a lecture, but a loving, tender tour? Beloved, can I show you something? Though it appears that I am not with you, I have been this whole time. Can I offer you the gift of something that you did not know to ask for? Not a reprimand. Can I say that, that I'm not sure God will ever give you a reprimand? I'm not even sure God has ever disappointed in us. I know that'll push some of our theology. But I do think, and this is mystical, that God is too busy loving us to do that. It's hard, and it's not exactly the response we want, is it? Because we're looking for solutions, or we're looking for a change of circumstances. That makes sense, doesn't it? I'm not trying to go through this. A tender tour is what God gives Job. And that's in spite of, and that's to the contrary of what we want, isn't it? Those are the two things we look for in our suffering, isn't it? A change of circumstance or an explanation that makes sense. Am I right on that? Is that not what we want when we go through things? I want a change of what's happening. Make this go away or I need an explanation. If you are all-powerful. But God doesn't give Job either of those things. And I'm not sure God gives us those things either. Instead, God gives Job the gift of perspective. What? Perspective? Perspective in the midst of what we face. Perspective is what we get. For real? 
after all I've been through, it's perspective you give me through all these questions that I obviously can't answer. I wasn't there when you created the earth, God. No, I don't know the heights and the depths of wisdom and knowledge. I don't. But then God gives him a tour, and in so doing, gives Job perspective. The unexpected gift of perspective is what God gives Job. Job's vision and placement in the great family of things. Mary Oliver says that. In the great family of things, God helps Job situate himself. And Job's vision is deepened and broadened, not invalidated. We often, it's subtle, but we often do that. We often think that God's perspective invalidates or somehow proves inaccurate our perspective. That's not what's happening, is it? It's almost like God is saying to Job and to us, it's not that your perspective is invalid or incorrect, it's just incomplete. That's all. It's not invalid, it's just incomplete. And so there is, I, I, I want us to see that there is such an unexpected grace and tenderness in being shown things that we otherwise cannot see, isn't there? There is such a grace and a tenderness in being shown things that we otherwise would not see. There is an unexpected comfort, comfort that comes in getting a glimpse of things we otherwise do not understand. And this is exactly, this point is really from my mother. I, was, I always FaceTime her almost every day. And I was like, I got to preach. And I'm on Job, so I don't know what the heck I'm going to say. Especially 38. Like, what? And she's like, yeah, like the more I look at it, she's like, Benjamin, I've been looking at this for a while, and I used to think this was about significance versus insignificance of Job. And but really now I'm just starting to see this is about perspective. This really is just Job is limited in the way that we're limited in what we see. And a perspective shift actually changes things perhaps more than if we were to change our circumstance. So it's really about God saying to Job and maybe to you and maybe to us, sweet child, daughter, son, I do see what you go through and I see how you suffer and I am yet with you. And in fact, let me take you to see that all the other things I am holding in balance that you could not possibly fathom. And at the heart of it all, Job, I am here holding you. That is the gift of perspective, truly. Not the thing we want, nor the thing we expect from God. But getting a view of one's incompleteness liberates us to trust the source of love that is complete. We trust in a source that is so much bigger than you and I. That is good news. That is good news. So I do wonder if there is anybody in this room, not just because I've said it and now you're like wondering about it, but I do wonder if you know this experientially for, to be true for you. When you think about your own experience, take a tour through what you've been through. Is it not true that the grace of God often comes to you in situations of suffering 
Not to take you out of those circumstances, unfortunately, but to be intimately present with you in them. Has that been true for anybody? Have you noticed that? That at the same time, God has given you a a deeply cosmic view and an intimately personal view at the same time. And what if that's kind of the mystery of God's grace in the midst of what we go through? That it's intimate presence and that there's a shift in broadening and deepening of perspective. I, I know this to be true for myself. I do. And I don't need to read any theologian to know it for myself. It's just been flat out true. That there have been so many times in my life where I have been through my own stuff, or I have, I have been in solidarity and borne witness to the suffering that other people go through. Communities, neighborhoods, whole groups of people unjustly treated. And you sit there and you look to God and you look to the sky and you say, are you freaking kidding me, God? You're not going to change this? And then what happens is God seems to draw near in the storm of it all. That's a mystery to me. And yet it is true from my experience. And is that not ultimately ultimately what we see in the life and ministry and death and resurrection of that Galilean Jew who was the fusion of humanity, broken suffering, and also the divine, all-knowing, all-good, tender, loving kindness. Is that not ultimately what we see in the person of that God-human we call Jesus, who is the Christ. The one who is not actually interested in extricating us from our experience or our circumstance in the moment, though that will happen, as it happens for Job in the last chapter. But before there is ever an extricating out of what we're going through, Before there's a rescuing and drawing us out of the human experience, God actually draws near to us and becomes who we are to experience what we experience. Is that not the gospel confession? And so that's what people a lot smarter than me, they use the word, Job is the prefiguration of the Christ figure, which is just a nerdy way of saying he reflects the archetype of Jesus, who is the fullness of everything we see in the Old Testament. Job is that figure. And yet God is also to Job who Jesus is for us. That is what we confess. So what is that? I was listening to a guy, there's a guy named James Finley. Oh, I forgot to give you some names today. There's a lot of names. Last time I gave you the name Dolores Williams, Black Feminist Theology. I got to look it up. Dolores Williams, important. Today, in the background, there's a guy named Gustavo Gutierrez. I know some people know him. 
sort of, he's kind of like an OG in the field of theology. And he has a book. You know you're smart when you have a book that's literally just called On Job. He has a book. It's famous, and it's a theology book about liberation and Job, and it's called On Job. He didn't even have to think of a cool title. <laughs> Gustavo Gutierrez. Look him up. And then there's another guy you might want to look up. His name's James Finley. He's like a, a really cool kind of mystic Catholic um, psychologist, James Finley. And he's talking about this idea of the change of perspective in the face of circumstances that don't change. And he says this, and I want to leave this with you. What is that peace that is not dependent on circumstances that are conducive to peace? I'll say that. I'm going to say that two more times. What is that peace that is not dependent on circumstances conducive to peace? River City, what is that peace that is not dependent on circumstances conducive to peace that we might have? That is the, the peace that surpasses understanding the peace for which there is no logical coherence or good explanation the peace that doesn't make sense the peace that comes in the gift of perspective this is the unexpected wisdom of the Lord so may you know that on this day May you know that that is maybe how God is showing up to you through a tender tour in a whirlwind. Brace yourself. Amen. It is the one, one Sunday in the month, the first Sunday, where we have a little bit of a liturgical thing, which I think is cool, where we respond to the reading and the hearing and the proclaiming of God's word um, through the sacrament. And the sacrament is kind of a, just an ordinary outward expression of these things that we hold to be symbolically and visibly true. So confession is one of those things. That's a sacrament. And communion or Eucharist. And so I'm actually going to invite the, uh, the worship, if they can hear me, to come on out. And you can come down, I think, these two aisles um, to receive, to receive in response. The gift, freely given. The gift given unto you. And you can take the elements and then you can head back to your seat. And then I will lead us through a corporate confession and then communion together as well. Come to the table as you feel ready.
around for a response that really is the only appropriate response in the form of confession. And confession isn't really just about oh, saying all the bad things I've done or how I've messed up. It is just proclaiming truth, saying what is in fact true. And so it's, it's powerful and important that we do that together in one voice. So we will read together, but we will read slowly together. Okay, join me. God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We confess that we are both victims and perpetrators of innocent suffering. We confess that we are all caught up in systems that create agony, tragedy, and anguish. We confess that like Job's friends, our wisdom alone cannot solve problems. But God, we trust that in our affliction and our confusion, you will answer us. We confess that you will never leave us to face our perils alone. Enlarge our perspective, Lord, that we might see your loving presence with us. Grant us a glimpse of your view that we might recognize the limits of our own. Take us on a tender tour of all things that we might trust in the wisdom of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Pope, Pope Francis, who I very much like, uh, he says this about the communion. He says that when we come to the table, this is not a reward for the virtuous. This is just food for the starving. This is not a reward for the saints, the holy. This is just food for the starving. Which is a way of saying it's for all who yearn, all who are in need. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed and gave himself up for us, he took the bread and he gave thanks gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to the people who followed him and he said take and eat this is my body broken for you given for you do this in remembrance of me church take and eat finished eating, Jesus then took the cup and again gave thanks and then gave it to the people who followed him and said, drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of this 
Do this in remembrance of me. Church, the blood of Christ given for you. Take and drink. like receiving to you. Church, hear this. Brace yourself. God is coming to you in the whirlwind of your life. But hold fast. Keep the faith. May you know God's presence amidst your pain. Church, brace yourself. Trust in the source that is bigger than what you can see. And now may you go into the world seeing and embodying a vision bigger than what your eyes can see. In the name of the Father, 